Amen. I was finally here. Finally, I'm up here. You don't know how long I've been reading this passage. (laughs) I'm almost bored with it, okay? So let's hope that um, I can throw off the boredom. It's like we were talking to Jenna this week and my daughter, who both write lots of essays, and I was like, I'm at that stage where I just want it gone. And we were like, no, it needs to be alive and living this morning. So we are talking about a growing church, and I'm going to be really clever and do my own overhead. Yes, made it work. Yes. Okay. So, thank you. Shall I go now? Is that it? No. Okay. Um, right. So we are doing. Uh, we are talking about a growing church because we want to be growing. And uh, this week we are going to be talking about growing in holiness, and that fits into the overall scheme because our three foci. Ooh, that's clever, isn't it? I hope it was right. Um, uh, Growing in maturity, growing in extent, how far the gospel reaches, and growing in numbers. We want more people to know about the love of God. Today's subject, however, growing in holiness, fits nice and neatly into growing in maturity. So excuse me, because I'm not going to say much about the other two. Okay, that's going to come later in the book, isn't it? Yeah, good, excellent. Okay, so growing to be more like God. That's what holiness is. That's what growing in, in um, holiness actually sort of means. You, holiness is one of those words. I don't know about you, but it doesn't really mean anything to me. I'm kind of like, is it a nun wandering along? Saying, I'm really, really holy. It, it, it kind of doesn't work out in my everyday life. So I really wrestled with this, this sermon to try and make it something that you can go away and do something about. Because that's me. I like to be able to go and do something about it. Of course, with God's help and hand in hand with God. Um, So growing to be more like God, I think, is sermons speak for change. So heads up. It struck me as I've prepared that I'm a bit of a funny mixture. I absolutely love Holy Spirit-guided personal change. Absolutely, I'm up for it. If Holy Spirit challenges me on something, I might kick and scream a little bit, but I'm up for it. I want to see change. I want to change. I want to be more like Christ. I want to taste more of the freedom he's got for me. I love it. Not, you know, t- tell me that next time God's challenging me that, though, won't you? Um, but I actually don't really like change in my environment. And um, it's, it's a bit of a shame because I'm married to Andy. And, um, and he does like change. He's actually a change merchant. Doesn't leave anything like it is. And um, in fact, I was thinking about this the other week. It, it's very true. And everybody suffers from it. Um, uh, <laughs> but, um, but it took about a year for um, me to admit that we actually needed new inserts for our cutlery drawers. So it was really the mundane, I'm sorry. But uh, I spent a lot of time in the kitchen. I like it. And I uh, finally gave in to him and said, oh, right, we'll have, we'll have some new inserts. We went to Ikea and we bought them. And quite honestly, when all the cutlery came out of the drawers and the new bits went in, I had to leave the kitchen. I was just like, no, no, that's too much change. Too many decisions. You moved everything. And for the following week, we were all opening the drawers going, no, it's not there. It's not there. Where is it? And I just, yeah. So I don't like that type of change, but I do like Holy Spirit inspired change. And hopefully that's where we'll go today. We'll get a bit closer to that. Okay, I've got three sections. I couldn't quite nail it down to three points. I'm sorry. So three sections. Uh, In the first section, we're going to look at who Paul is writing to in this letter and what they're up to. Not in too much graphic detail, don't worry. Um, In the second section, we'll look at a definition of holiness that I've come to as I've dwelt in this passage. That holiness is about relationship. And lastly, we'll bring those two things together in some practical know-how and some guidance that Paul lays out with regards to sexual immorality. 
because that's what he's talking about. Okay, that's why I said it wasn't going to get too graphic. It's not X-rated, don't worry. Okay, let's see. Oh, there we go, growing in holiness. Here we are. So who is he writing to and what are they up to? Okay, so he's writing, 1 Thessalonians is a letter that Paul wrote to young Christians in Thessalonica in northern Greece. So it's up there. Um, And he himself, he'd led them all to faith. In Acts 17, um, we see that he preached in the synagogue on three Sabbaths. So that's like three weeks. Um, And we don't actually know whether he spent any longer time there than that or not. So imagine, and so after, in those three weeks, it says some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. So that's his gathering, new Christians, new baby Christians, come from all different diverse backgrounds, some Jews, some Greeks, some, you know, all types of um, practices and things, all bundled into one community when they weren't, didn't live together before. Um, but they were, Paul was forced to leave them really quickly when the Jews got jealous of his success and uh, they whipped up a riot. So he had to leave them. And he, he kind of left them with a nice handy New Testament to, you know, here's all my letters all in one go. These are all your questions answered in one little book. Um, there's no alpha course to put them on. Um, you know, he, all these new Christians and he had to just leave them. Imagine how, how that must have felt for him. Um, so it's not surprising that once he got down to Athens, having been chucked out of Berea on the way, um, he then sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. Um, he tends them back to find out how they're getting on. How are they doing? Have they put into practice what, I've, what we taught them when we were with them? So in this next part of the letter, Paul addresses three areas that uh, they, these new Christians needed a little bit of a steer on. And no doubt during his visit, Timothy had spotted a few behaviors, spotted a few attitudes, spotted a few things um, that uh, needed a little bit of teaching. And he brought them back to um, Paul in Athens. And then we have the letter that Paul writes to them. The areas were their sexual behavior, slothfulness, and on various issues to do with the second coming. So this morning we get to talk about sex. When I noticed this, <laughs> when I read the passage through first time, I can't say I was overjoyed. <laughs> As I, Andy and Steve put this all together nice and neatly and, uh, and gave me today, growing in holiness. And I read it and I just thought, thanks, boy. <laughs> they obviously see stick for talking about sex um but uh, oh i forgot my bible andy can you bring my bible please okay so we're going to read the passage so if you could turn to 1 thessalonians 4 and we're going to read from verses 1 to 8 my bible should fall open at this really easily here we are okay let's start here then so it's entitled living to please god Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instruction we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, 
He who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Well, it's all gone a bit quiet. It's a bit serious, isn't it? Hopefully. It is serious, actually. But I'm sure we'll have a few laughs along the way. Okay. So I don't really want to get snarled up in lots of definitions about sexual immorality and the various other issues that we could end up in. Um, Steve preached last term on why God cares um, who I sleep with. Uh, so go back and listen to that one if you want. And we spent all last Saturday hearing about same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. Um, and so I'm not going to cover all that ground again today because I think we've done that. Um, <laughs> I want to focus on being holy. Um, okay. What has really opened up to me as I have studied this passage has been the motivation behind avoiding sexual immorality and the call from Paul to live in order to please God, to live a holy life. So we'll look briefly at what Paul says about sexual immorality in this passage. The definition of sexual immorality that I'm working with is a bit of a coverall definition, Steve and I had this conversation while I was stuck in traffic on Botley Road. And I'm like, so, so what, what, what's my definition of um, sexual immorality then? Is it just adultery? Is it, is it, is it what's it called? Pornography, but then there's fornication as well. There's so many words. There's so many words. Actually, Steve just said, do you know what? All of it. All of it. That's what we're talking about. All of it. Just avoid all of it. I said, oh, okay, great. Um, <laughs> we'll just do all of it. So I could just say, stop it. Okay? Stop it. And then I could sit down and we'd all go home early. (laughs) I thought, actually, no, it's not just about stopping it. It's about the way we relate to to God, to the God that loves us. And this is one of the areas in which we need to be sorted. We need to get it right. So John Stott categorizes what Paul is saying about sex under two headings. He says sex has a God-given context and sex has a God-given attitude. The God-given context for Paul writing here, and as we understand it, is the context of heterosexual marriage. His attitude, the attitude that we have that sex in, (laughs) is holiness and honour. Paul was writing from Corinth down there, and he's writing to Thessalonica, and he was just painfully aware, really, of the, um, the general sexual immorality that was generally the way people lived. Um... The culture was heavily influenced by the worship practices of various pagan religions, which basically promoted sexual promiscuity as just as the way things were. F.F. Um, F. Bruce says that it was widely accepted that men either could not or would not limit themselves to their wife as their only sexual partner. I'm sure it was as equally as bad for, for women. So, you know, we're not off the hook, girls. Um, so it's into that context, that kind of... Do you remember this, that group of young Christians who Paul had had to leave? They all come with different ideas about what's right and wrong in the sexual area. So he's got to really lay it out plain and simple for them. Um, and uh, that's what he's writing into. He's writing into um, that sort of mixed bag of opinion on what it is. Um, he wants to help them see that God has a way for them to relate sexually... And it's one that's marked out with honour and self-control and not covetous passion. Paul is calling them to be in charge of their bodies so that their sexual behaviour is holy and honourable. Honour, if you want to look at a definition of what honour is, it's primarily other-centred. 
And it runs in stark contrast to the word that he uses, which is lust or covetous passion, which is a self-centered concern for one's own needs and drives. We're talking about sex here. That is a really basic drive, okay? But God wants us to have that under control. We don't want to be serving it. We want to be serving God and having it in the right place. So Paul's, so true godly sexual behavior honors the partner, whereas lust, being the opposite, uses the partner for selfish satisfaction. So that's a bit of a, what's that, a plumb line on your sex life and the way you view sex. So I've got three little things that Paul's laying it out loud and clear for these new Christians. It's nice and clear for us too. Marriage is the place for it, so stick to your spouse. Learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. Make sure your sex is more about serving your spouse than serving yourself. And make sure you're in charge of your sexual desires rather than them being in charge of you. Verse 7 says God's call is to a holy life. Put it another way, we're called to become more like him, living a life that gives rather than takes. That reflects the character of God. He gives to us, he doesn't take. And that's what we want to be in our relationships. And that's what we want to be in the way we handle sex. Paul is doing more than simply giving the new Christians a list of do's and don'ts. That I'm so, so, so want you to hear that this morning. That it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a loving list. It is a list. But it is a loving guidance from God that's like, do it this way, not that way. I made you to do it this way, not that way. That way leads to a mess. This way leads to righteousness and peace with both me and your partner. And wider than that, because we all know that if you screw up sexually, you don't just screw yourself up. You screw up everyone else that it touches. So this is really important for the body of Christ and for society as a whole, for us to follow the way God laid down for us to treat this wonderful thing. Um, I'm, not, I'm not dissing sex. You do know that, don't you? You have seen that. Okay. It's wonderful, but it has a place. Okay. Um, and God wants us to just keep on learning this. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow in this whole area. And he wants us to grow in holiness, grow in becoming like him. He defines how to behave, but he also, at the end, Paul says, he gives us his Holy Spirit, so we're not left on our own. Okay? Not only is it not a list of do's and don'ts, but there's also help. There's help. God's there. So the standard is set. Help is at hand. We're ready to go. Um, and we're in, sec- in my third section, we're going to look more at practical know-how. Okay. Now, have I missed some slides? Let's have a look. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. I really wanted not to do that, but I did it. Okay, here's my main point. This is what has really stuck out to me. Holiness is about relationship. It's a bit noisy, isn't it? <laughs> Gives you all a chance to have a giggle on a serious subject. Okay. Oh, so holiness, the word holiness, actually, it, it does mean set apart, dedicated to God, belonging to God. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at big words or words that are kind of comes out of, come out of theology books because 
well, they don't mean anything to me and they don't change me. So I, had to, I needed something a bit more um, concrete to help me in my understanding of it. So, because otherwise I'm left with images when I think about holiness. I don't know what you think about, but I, I kind of think about a nun. And I think, well, I can't be her. It's far too late. Um, uh, well, maybe it's not, but... <laughs> um, or, or someone who's really super-duper holy and has got, really got their prayer life taped, never does anything wrong. I mean, you know, what do you do when you think about holy? Do you think, oh, I can't be that, and leave it? Yeah, that's not... If God calls us to be holy, we need to understand what he's calling us to be. And it's not holier than thou looking down on you. Um, it's not that either. So it is something, isn't it? So that's what I've been trying to dig out. It is for all of us, and it is within our reach. Here's one little definition. Biblical holiness includes our behavior, our private morality, but it's so much more. It's relationship-driven. God calls us to be holy, to belong to him, and be dedicated to him in all we are and in all we do. You may remember Kathy Jones, who spoke earlier on in this series. Her phrase was, Lord, you have my yes. I want to go deeper. God, have your yes this morning. Do you want to go deeper? So this relationship then, this belonging to him, being dedicated in, to him, is... Oh, I'm reading the wrong bit. Okay. <laughs> It works out in our behavior, this relationship. It does work out in our behavior. It is linked to our behavior. But the relationship with him both... I've got this written around, haven't I? The relationship with God both precedes behavior and guides behavior. And said in even simpler language, it's because we love him that we live in a way that pleases him. And if you want to go further than that, he loved us first, so we love him back, and we want to live in the way that, that honors the fact that he loved us first. Yeah? Can you work with that definition of holiness? Yeah? I like the nods. That's really good. That's really helpful to me. Good. Excellent. Okay. So, quote. No, didn't put it on. Okay. (laughs) Okay, here's a quote. You've got to listen. I thought I'd written it out for you, but we haven't. We are called first to be holy, to be God's, to be radically and totally given up to him. Given up to him. I've got an image of um, Abraham putting Isaac on the altar. You know? Given up to him, our lives, our loves, our dreams, our appetites, which is obviously what we're looking at a bit today, our very identities, all given up to him. Not owned by us, but given and obedient to him. There is not much left that doesn't go on the altar of sacrifice, of given all to God. Um, that's what we want to be. The heart of the Father beats through this call to be holy. His desire for us is to be totally his. So he can be with us and for nothing to get in the way of that relationship. So as I've been preparing, um, a tract has come back to mind, um, and I'm smiling because it probably shows my age. I became a Christian in the late 80s. Quite a long time ago now, sadly, um, and this tract was around at that time, and it's it's um, it's called the Hay Tract. <laughs> yes, Steve, you're showing your age too, <laughs> and I think there's just something about it that brings across this whole aspect of God's relationship with us. So I'm just going to talk us through it, and uh, here's the first one. Hey, 
It's here. Who recognizes it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, even some littlies over here. Well done. Um, I'm nearly 50. I can say littlies. Um, <laughs> got to be some benefits, isn't it? Anyway, okay, so the first one. Hey, when the world started, man and God were really good friends and nothing got in the way of their relationship. I love that. Hi, God, you're my friend. It's great. Communication between us works. But then one day, a man decided he couldn't care less. And without thinking, threw something into the tube. Oh, dear. And before long, their friendship was broken because the tube was cluttered up with rubbish. They were no longer on speaking terms. It broke God's heart. It broke God's heart. That's, it's about relationship. It broke God's heart. But God wouldn't leave it at that. So he disguised himself as a man and put on a new T-shirt. Not like mine. And he climbed over the fence carrying a large empty sack. He began to collect up all the rubbish from the tube and put it back in the, put it in the sack. Before long, <clears throat> it was absolutely cleaned up. But man got annoyed with him. Mm. Keep you hanging. So man murdered him. And since the mystery man wouldn't let go of the sack, he nailed it up with him. Three days later, man was feeling pretty low about things when somebody tapped him on the shoulder and said, how about turning round? I love that. That's the story of the gospel, isn't it? That's the gospel to us. God came for us. Because he wants relationship with us. And it breaks his heart when we let things clutter up that tube. So remember, the relationship with God, it both precedes our behavior and it guides our behavior. We, live the, we want to live a holy life because it pleases him. Okay, bit of Bible. So as you read Paul's letter to Thessalonians... want much time. Um, you can see that he's working with this definition of holiness being about relationship with God. So I went through it's very, some, and pulled out a couple of the verses that really show this. So it starts with the fact that he instructed them how to live in order to please God. So the reason he gave them the behavior guidelines was so that they could please God and grow in their relationship with him. It's not, legal, it's not a legalistic notion of holiness, but it's a relational one. Verse 4, each should learn to control his body in a way that is holy and honourable. So controlling your body in a way that is holy is its not ever going anywhere near sex, but it's, as we said, it's about giving, not taking. It's about remembering that you belong to God first. And that's how we respond with our sexual desires, that we belong to God. So we're marked with as being God's. And we know what pleases him. Okay, we need to keep that tube clear. Number five. And then Paul says, not like people who do not know God. Because they don't know. Paul says, he says, they don't know God, so they don't know what pleases God, so they please themselves. So I don't know if any of you were a non, well, you know, hadn't, haven't come to faith 
recently enough that you can remember what it was like. I can still remember it, and it's quite a long time ago, being ruled by, <laughs> being ruled by your sexual desires. It's quite exhausting. Um, but that's because I didn't know God. I didn't know what pleased God, so I just pleased myself. And, you know, we're surrounded by people in the world who don't know God and live to please themselves because they don't know any better. And that's our job. Let's go and tell them that there's a different way. God called us to live a holy life. God, out of that, I wanted to say, God called us. God put on a new T-shirt, climbed over the fence, and he came. And he came to clear all of the rubbish out of the tube. He came, he did it, he called. It's relationship. He loves us. He's, he's there for us. And then at the end, Paul says, he who rejects this instruction doesn't reject man, but he rejects God. So Paul's reminding them that it's, it's, not, um, it's not on a horizontal level that they're rejecting things. It's not Paul they're rejecting or man's instruction, but it's a vertical thing. They reject this instruction, you reject God. And it's God's heart that they break, that we break if we reject this instruction. So God's laid out, no, God hasn't, well, God has, but through Paul, <laughs> Paul has laid out both the motivation for the behavior and what the desired behavior is. Our desire needs to be pleasing God. And it is that theme for Paul. Earlier in the letter, he's been urging them to live a life worthy of God. Worthy. That's another one of those words, isn't it? That I was like, worthy. Okay, do something worthy. And I'm like, it doesn't really mean anything to me. So I spent some time thinking about it, living a life worthy of God. And I ended up, I think about food as usual, because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember our daughter got married this year um, up in Sheffield, and we had a bring and share reception for 170 people. So I had to contact 162 people um, <laughs> to say, would you bring salad or would you bring some breadsticks or would you bring um something else and uh i don't know about you but if you are asked to bring something to a wedding you don't just nip to tesco's on the way and bring some value coleslaw do you no am i am i talking to the right people okay you go wow oh, it's their wedding i want to bless them i want to do something worthy of the occasion i want to bring something that says Yes, I'm for you. Yes, I'm with that couple that are getting married. I want to bless. I want to bring my best to this wedding because they're worth it. <laughs> You're worth it. Um, so, and, that, and, that, and that's what happened. Everyone totally overcated. Everyone bought the best possible salad they could. Even if they were only asked to bring breadsticks, they bought the finest breadsticks, breadsticks with um, you know, tomatoes. And I didn't know how many things you could put in a breadstick, but they found them and they brought them because they loved, they love Mary and Nick. They love them. And, and they wanted to bring their absolute best to the day to make it a worthy day. And that's, that's it, isn't it? Can you hear that? Can you hear that's what God said God wants? He goes, live a life worthy of me. Bring me your best. Bring me your, you know, just be worthy of it. It's not a be worthy. It's a oh, be worthy, live worthy lives. Okay. And that's what Paul's trying to get through to these new Christians. Okay, okay. Here we go. Where are we? Practical know-how. Okay. What's the time? 
hey, I'm not doing bad. Okay, now, I realise, while um, I've been talking to Steve, because Steve's leading the meeting, um, that Steve's emphasis on holiness was, was quite kind of, well, a little bit different to mine, which did slightly freak me out to start with, because he's cleverer than I am. And, uh, and I was like, oh, you know, the focus in the prayer at the beginning was very much on God's done the holiness, God's come and done the cleaning, and God has made us holy. And, and I was thinking, well, that's true. But actually, if you read the passage, that's not what Paul's talking about this time. It doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean that you're not holy. You are holy. You're made holy through Christ. Um, but actually, I think Paul's after a different aspect. And the gospel that I signed up for, I don't know how many years ago now, um, was, it was in the Sheldonian Theatre to an OEQ mission. And uh, this guy was preaching about, there's so many, ma- many rooms in your house, and you've been trying to tidy them up. And every time you've done one and you move on to the next, the last one is in a right mess again. And I was sitting there going, oh, you read my diary. <laughs> and, uh, and I was just like, yes, I keep tidying out, and then it's in a mess again, and I just can't keep it. And nothing survives my tidying. And, um, and neither did my bedroom either. Um, but do you know, I, that's the gospel I signed up for. It took me a while to realize that I was a sinner and I need to say sorry. And, but I got there. You know, we all respond to a different aspect of the gospel, I think. And as long as we get the full gospel in the end, through good discipleship, I think that's okay. Because God knows, doesn't he? You know, that, that was just what pulled me in at that time and made me go, oh, there's a different way. I didn't know. I didn't know. So that's what comes through in my definition of holiness, okay? Yes, we're made holy, but actually we've got a part to play. And that's not a, oh, no, not another thing for me to do. I had a picture of Beverly yesterday morning at our family breakfast going, yeah, Lord, we're all tired. Please help us today. And I just thought, gosh, if I stand up this morning and go, yeah, there's a part for us to play. We can do this. Beverly's going to go, no, I'm going home. (laughs) I'm too tired. But no. God's there with us, and there is something. We've got a part to play in this becoming holy, okay? And uh, that's the practical know-how bit. So the first bit is commit to the process. If you look at verse 3, Paul says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. That's another one of those big words, sanctification. I remember going to the library when we were at Bible college to look that up because I didn't know what it was. And uh, oh, okay. That's quite good. I quite like that. I think that's what's going on. Because sanctification is the word the Bible uses to mean the process of being made holy. It's really on God's agenda. It's a process. Okay, we're all on that process somewhere. New Christian, maybe at the beginning here. Someone who had the delight of knowing Jesus from the word go. Might be a little bit further on. They've got a head start. I often say that to my kids. This is a sideline, by the way. But if you, were born, you know, if you were born again really early, you have got a head start in this race. And be grateful for it. Sorry, if you feel like having a whinge at me that you haven't got a very good testimony, that's what I'll say to you. I'll say, you've got a head start. You are not trying to throw off all the sin that hinders that I had to walk through. I had to get rid of an awful lot of stuff. If you've known Jesus right from the start, you've known that security, you've known that hope, you've known that love, you are well ahead and keep running fast, okay? (laughs) And I'm catching up. Um, (laughs) 
So, so I said at the beginning, I love Holy Spirit. I hope you've got the message that I love it when God challenges us to change. Just leave my kitchen alone. Um, <laughs> so how does the process of sanctification work? Okay, so this is the process that we're talking about. You're committing to it, okay? It's an intentional process. So it works with God challenges you to start with. He says a little poke, the little Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit comes along and goes, uh, make you feel a little bit uncomfortable about that. Should we stop doing that? Shall we avoid doing that? Or shall we do this instead? Oh, no, we don't want to do that. I'm scared. There are lots of responses we can have. Are you all with me that the Holy Spirit comes and challenges us in there, you know, makes us feel uncomfortable in here and whoa, it's time to change? Okay, there's various options, isn't there? You can ignore him and you can refuse. It's an option. It's not a very good option. Uh, you can negotiate with him. Who knows it doesn't work to negotiate with God? Yeah, yeah, we don't. It doesn't work, but we try it, don't we? Well, God, could we just, could we just turn it down a little bit? Could we just have a little bit of what we want and, and what you want? Do you know what? You can. God will let you do that. You know, you can have a little bit of what you want and a little bit of what he wants, but you're not going to really get the best out of it. You're not going to get holiness. And that's not the best breadsticks that you can bring, is it? Okay, you can fight sulk. Kick, scream. I have a friend who does this. They lead a church at the moment. And when they were asked to go and lead it, she's kicked and she screamed. <laughs> and I remember her leaving my house going, I don't want to, but I know I will. I said, great, that's fine. And God's got grace for that. You know, we respond. Eventually, we capitulate and we give way. And we say, yeah, all right, God, I will do it. I'll obey. And you taste freedom at that point. You walk into freedom. You walk into being a new creation at that point. There's another option, which actually I've learned. It's quite, it's the best one for me so far. Um, you quickly see that it's for your good to respond well to the Holy Spirit's challenge because you know that God loves you with an everlasting love and you bow the knee in obedience quickly to him and you obey and you are set free and you move on. In that race, you're keeping on going. You're a pilgrim, not a tourist. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, um, I was thinking about my first experience of this. So go back with me. I was a fresher student, and my husband's tapping. I was doing quite well, I know. I should have finished. Um, I was a, I was a, I was a, so I was a first-year occupational therapy student, and um, uh, I was a bit of a boozer. And not many men were safe when I'd had a bit of booze. So, yeah, it's a bit of a mess. Um, and my first, my first encounter of this sort of sanctification process in action was going to the bar after CU and sitting there and thinking, well, they've all got a pint. They've all got wine. They've got alcohol. Why do I, who drinks quite a lot, feel bad about having a pint? What, what, what's this about? You know, this what? And this went on and on, you know, feeling bad, thinking I shouldn't be drinking. What's this gosh? Finally, I blurted it all out to my lovely Christian friend who led me to Jesus. I was mad. I was cross. I was confused. And she was just like, so calm. She was probably going, yes, yes, yes. Finally, you've seen it. Um, <laughs> she was so calm. She said, you know, I think this is the Holy Spirit, Ruth. is just saying you need to change the way you live. And maybe giving up drink would help you and the rest of the world. <laughs> I was like... Oh, what, give it up? Totally. I had a little bit of a negotiation. You know, what, totally? None. She was like, 
do you think that's what God's saying? She was so wise. I was like, yes, yes. Because I am an all out or all or nothing person. So I would say, yes, have it all, Lord. So I did. I gave up drinking. And uh, I reflect now, I don't think I'd have got anywhere in my walk with God if I hadn't given up drinking. It was because it wasn't the drink that was the problem. It was the choices that I made following the too many drinks that um, was the problem. It was the behavior and my lack of, well, holiness. <laughs> um, and it made such a difference. It made such a difference. It wasn't the drink that was wrong, but for me it was. And I was so blessed that uh, I landed in OCC pretty quickly um, after becoming a Christian. And I got a personal pastor um, and I walked and talked with them. And it's the best way to change is to be walking openly with someone confessing openly you know i i don't mind talking about sex so if you if you've got a problem with it you can come and talk to me um <laughs> it does i don't mind i you could probably shock me probably nowadays i'm a bit old now but you know it's none if we're a personal pastor put your hands up if you're a personal pastor here yeah i don't think any of them would mind talking about sex either ha <laughs> um <laughs> But you know, that is the best way to deal with it. Get it out in the open. It shrinks when you get it out in the open. It's the enemy that puts the magnifying glass on it when it's in the dark. Okay, so that is my plug for getting a personal pastor and walking openly. Um, so I'm just going to move on a little bit quickly here. So avoid temptation. Oh, that's Paul. He says, avoid sexual immorality. And I was thinking about this and thinking, well, it's not just an action avoid. It's an attitude. It's not a... How much can I get away with? It's a, how worthy can I be? Okay. It's not a, um, it's not, so, yeah. We don't, don't dance along the very edge of the boundary. Those who have got children have got children that do that. They go along right along the edge of what you've said they shouldn't do, just to see how you are doing and whether you're going to challenge them. God's watching and he's going, to get away from the edge. It's really not a safe place. And uh, I'm going to blame this bit on Steve. He said, look, there's going to be freshers there this morning who um, this week, in their, one of their first weeks away from home, free of boundaries, free of home boundaries, they might, have, they might lose their virginity this week if they have one too many pints. You know, don't go close to the edge because there's consequences. And that's consequences for all of us. You know, if you're dancing along the edge on something... It's not difficult. Avoid it. Get away from the edge. Okay. Um, practical things about, about this. Uh, I always like to say, watch what, watch what you watch. Watch what goes in. Watch what goes in through your eyes. Watch what goes in through your ears. Watch what you watch. Watch what you listen to. Watch what you read. Watch who you hang out with and what they talk about. All of that, if you're doing all of that not in a worthy way, that is going to not help you to avoid sexual immorality. It's going to predispose you to slip. Um, so watch it. Um, and then Paul says, he moves on to says, learn. Learn about yourself. Uh, learn about your triggers. Um, I'm totally for being in the world alongside people that don't know Jesus. But actually, you need to know when you're not strong enough to be there. And when you're in a weak and vulnerable place where you might get swept along with what's normal for other people because they don't know how to please God. You need to know that and you need to say, actually, guys, I'm not coming out tonight. 
I'm going to go and hang with some safer company. Don't say that to them. But, you know, <laughs> you say, actually, no, I'm going to go somewhere that makes me strong, that makes me gaze into the face of God and do what I do and remember why I do it. Okay. I've finished, really. I've got a response. Shall I do that? No. He said no. I can't show you my pictures. But Steve's going to take us into a time of response. <laughs> remember, relation, holiness is about relationship. Let's keep that tube nice and clear.